And I said, you know, I don't have a whole lot more to live for. And if I, if I die, it's okay. And I started noticing that that thought would come through more and more. You know, I'm, it's okay if I die. I didn't have that real desire to do a whole other phase. or I didn't have a big desire for making something of my life. And that's when I realized that the loss was so much deeper than I had thought. Welcome to Zestful Aging, where I interview inspiring and influential guests who are making their mark on the world and contributing to the common good. Contributing to the common good in even the smallest of ways is one of the scientifically proven ways we can age with vitality and deep contentment. I'm your host, Nicole Christina, psychotherapist and fellow zestful ager. My goal is to share optimism about aging and introduce you to guests who will excite and inspire you to share your own gifts and talents with the world. And to find out more about this podcast, my web courses and my and my book, Not Just Chatting, How to Become a Master Podcast Interviewer, hop on over to ZestfulAging.com. And while you're there, sign up for my monthly email newsletter, The Insider, where you will get behind-the-scenes looks at my interviews and other fun tidbits, including what's new at my Etsy shop, Zestful Design. Ever wonder what the host of Zestful Aging does when she's not podcasting? Creating one-of-a-kind earrings, of course. I've just opened an Etsy shop called Zestful Design, no S, and it showcases my fun, comfortable, and zesty polymer earrings. These earrings are fun to make and fun to wear. So check out my new shop, Zestful Design, on Etsy. Our music is courtesy of Judy Banker. Find out more at judybanker.com. We have a wonderful interview for you today. Once we've arrived at middle age, life has presented us with our share of challenges. Some of these challenges can be monumental. So how do we navigate the very real losses and rebound? As she entered the third phase of life, Dami Rossi lost her life partner. Her solution, a long walk in the Himalayas to escape the reality of life without her best friend. This trek in a desolate wilderness at high altitude gave her back her sense of belonging. And since then, Dami uses long distance hiking and backpacking as a means to deepen her connection with nature and the universe. Welcome to the show, Dami. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nicole. I'm really excited to get into all of your adventures. Let's start with kind of a big question, and that is, what is zestful aging to you? What does that mean to you? Well, to me, it means, you know, zest. When you put a little bit of zest in your cooking, it's that <laughs> subtle flavor. Ah. <laughs> and, um, but it, it makes you pay attention. There is something that, to me, it jumps up in me. So when I'm living with zest, 
there are these moments um, where I feel like I, I sort of jump up, I pay attention, uh, something pops out at me. And that could be because I am attentive in the moment, but it could also be because um, I'm, I'm willing to explore new things and I'm always kind of on the lookout for, um, you know, what's across, what's on the horizon. And as you mentioned <laughs> about my walking, I think from very young on, I've always been curious about what's on the other side there, what is, you know, further down on the horizon. And so for me, it's not zestful aging. It's been zestful living all my life. I have mm, looked for that I little um, oomph that, that keeps you going and it gives you energy to do whatever you need to do to move forward. And you have to be paying attention for that. You can't be looking down on your phone. No. Well, unless you're paying attention to what's on your phone, <laughs> you might <laughs> That's discover right, something. That's like right, the map you need. <laughs> That's right. Were you always like this as a kid? I mean, uh, are your, is your family like this as well? Or is this something individual to you? I, I, you know, I think I come from a fairly curious family. My father was, I'm taking after my father who was always uh, off on some adventure and we never knew when he would return <laughs> if he went for a walk <laughs> because <laughs> he would just follow his nose on something that was interesting and then come show back up two hours later to the frustration of my mother. So I think I have I, some I of imagine. that. <laughs> Uh-huh. So you knew that that was something that could be interesting and exciting. Yeah. And he also was the one who introduced us to, you know, getting up really early in the morning and going walking in the dunes because um, I lived on an island in, in Holland, uh, you know, before anybody else was up. He, he, he was somebody who would seek out the, the edges of things that have a certain excitement, not necessarily danger, but certain excitement. And I think I take after him in that in that regard. So you've always been a person who appreciates the outdoors, appreciates the um, walking, and then uh, your partner, your husband, died. Mm -hmm. Yep. How did that change things? Well, he didn't just die. It was a very long, slow process. And um, we, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's, and um, it was another 12 years before he died. So that's a long, was mm -hmm. a long period in our life and my life of this slow trajectory uh, towards disability. And we took it as something that in the, in the beginning, you know, he was an adventurer also. It's like, we're going to beat this thing. We can do this. And... The sad thing is, there is no cure for Parkinson's. And even mm -hmm. though we, you know, not at this point, even though we tried everything alternative and everything, you know, um, that was conventional, um, his decline was ongoing. So um, mm -hmm. mm. it, it, it wasn't a sudden change. And I think that's really the crux of my memoir when I talk about you don't even know that you're that the loss is there because it's so gradual. Mm -hmm. And you can't really grieve because the person is still there, but he's no longer mm -hmm. the person that he was. And in his case, Parkinson's dementia set in 
and he became a very and and this is in our world with a lot of people having to deal with Alzheimer's and dementia an an issue I think that is often not looked at the person doesn't really you know interact with you anymore as a partner mm-hmm. as an equal and they're interacting with their illness or their lack of cognition. And so in my case, it was both the illness and the lack of cognition that really changed um, our relationship. And so there so was... So you became the main care caregiver? Well, I tried. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I was for a long time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, some of, you know, there was also an awareness, I think, on his side that made him make decisions that were in many people's eyes, foolish, which I also thought were a certain, you know, reaching for survival. He wanted to do just whatever he felt like doing. He became very impulsive as a result of the the medications, which, you know, you don't get, you don't, they don't tell you these side effects um, of the medications that he had to take to function. And he became very addicted mm-hmm. to them and took way more than he should have. And so oh, he see. became a very oh. different person that I didn't recognize anymore. And so we lived se- we start we lived separately and he didn't want me to care for him and he you know he hired other people to look after him and mm. it, it sounds complicated emotionally. It is emotionally very complicated. You know, I call them those the, the the gray years in a in a disease in a long, you know, slow decline uh, when you think the person can still think and act normal but they really aren't and you can also not diagnose them as incompetent and so they can make all kinds of decisions that um Mm -hmm. that can be harmful so that was the hardest hardest part and during that time is when i just had to figure out what was going on and i went for my walk in the himalayas that was the first long trek that i did on my own was that a hard decision for you to make to to leave the country and and to go? Was it Nepal? Uh, I went to um, Ladakh. It's in mm. it's in the north of India on the on the border with China and to the west of Nepal. Um, mm-hmm. It it wasn't. Um, it it took a while, obviously, to sort of emerge in my consciousness as something I wanted to do. But I had contact or I had a friend who had been there several times. And not too long before that I'd seen, uh, she had done a slideshow for people and I saw the pictures. And I think that is what really pulled on me again, because um, I had been in the Himalayas before in my in my 20s. So it wasn't a totally foreign place. It was actually a place where I had some really good experiences. So it was sort of a going back to something that was good. But when I saw the barrenness of the mountains, that just sort of matched the barrenness I was starting to feel inside me, or mm-hmm. that I felt inside me. And I just wanted I to see. get lost there. And and that's mm-hmm. what, yeah. And this friend was um, helped me with contacts over there. So it, it was actually not that difficult. For a lot of people say, wow, you go all the way to some place like that. No, I, I feel like in a way I was guided. I had 
uh, a contact when I arrived. I had a place to stay. Um, mm, and, it fit into place. Everything fell yes, into place. And that contact uh, was going to be a guide on the trek, which didn't quite turn out that way, but he, his nephew ended up. So I felt taken care of in that sense. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I wasn't just off in nowhere land. It was nowhere land. Mm-hmm. But I, I'm also... I'm an experienced traveler. I had traveled around the world in my 20s a lot. So it, it to me, it's not as daunting as it would be to most other people, probably. So what happened on that track in the barrenness? Oh, so much happened. I, I was able to actually get a six-week sabbatical from my job and because I was seeing a therapist at the time to deal with my issues. And he actually advised, because to give me family or sick leave, it it had to be, you know, someone had to vouch for me needing this. And he advised Mm -hmm. that I would do this. (laughs) So I was very lucky. I I got to leave my job to do that. So what happened there, I started, you know, it became, uh, I, I had a mission, which was, often with these things, a fabricated mission, because my friend had been in the, in this area uh, several times, and she um, had gathered and, and raised money for a nunnery to be built in this village that is four days walking in the roadless area. And she said, well, if you go and you're going to do this trek, which she had done before, you can bring back, report to me how the nunnery, what it's like, bring back the pictures, and because she hadn't seen it finished. So mm-hmm. that was my mission, to, mm-hmm. to, to go to this village. To report, yeah, and report, report on back. the progress. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that kind of, when you have a mission on a long trek, if you have a goal, I'm going to do this, to reach this, it, it helps you when things get difficult or, you know, y- you ask l- less often, what am I doing here or why am I doing mm. this? Um, yeah, yeah, you have it a pulls reason. You through, yeah. So can you describe for those of us who have not been on a track, what is it actually like? Are you take, you know, are you having a, a sort of scramble up, steep parts or you know like what actually is it like to walk on this trek yeah well we can call it hiking Mm. (laughs) because Mm -hmm. the difference between walking and hiking i always say is that it's hiking is on uneven terrain ups and Mm. downs where you know your balance is much more uh, a part of the whole thing whereas walking is is not always on flat ground but uh, more, I, I see it's on paved ground and uh, not near as challenging. It can be challenging okay. if it's a steep, steep incline. But other than that, the, the pavement is, you know, you're not stepping over roots or tripping over rocks or having to cross little mm. or big um, waters. You know, sometimes it's little creeks, sometimes it's big rivers as we had to do here. And trekking in the Himalayas, the, the wonderful thing about it is that it's... It, it's a tourist industry, uh, especially you've heard about Nepal. Um, so there are many agencies who provide guides 
They provide mules or small mountain horses to carry all, all the stuff that you need. So you really, unlike backpacking here in the US, uh, over there, you really just need to carry a, um, uh, a backpack, a day pack to, you know, mm-hmm. maybe some food in it and your camera and an extra jacket and stuff like that. But you have, uh, you know, an entourage of people who take care of you while you're doing that. So you're not alone, mm-hmm. even though I went on this trek alone. I didn't stay alone. I met somebody. But, you know, you go, you go out. And in that sense, once you get to the trail in these countries, it's very much like in high countries here, like in the Sierras or um, in, in Washington or in the, in the Catskills. You know, there's a trail and the trail can be very rough and mm-hmm. it climbs and it descends. And there are mountains, obviously here we are in the mountains, gorges. Um, you know, there are glacial rivers that come down and um, the real challenge of trekking in Ladakh and in Nepal is that, uh, is the altitude. You have to mm-hmm. be acclimated to altitude. And for folks who live at sea level or at lower elevations, that can be a real challenge. And you just take your hiking sticks and, and you put on your pack and hopefully you have the right gear on your body to, you know, deal with the elements and you start walking. And other than that, it's, you know, I don't even know at that time because my gear was still very primitive. It's evolved over time. Uh, I didn't really keep track of how many miles I walked in a day, but we walked mm-hmm. every day. And, mm-hmm. you know, we started in the morning after breakfast and then we had lunch at some point and we walked until four o'clock in the afternoon, sometimes three. And then we put up, you know, we set up camp somewhere. And the guy knew the places where he wanted to do that, where there was water nearby and, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Hi, listeners. I wanted to introduce you to a podcast that I think you will love. It's called Out There. Here's the trailer. And in one of the new episodes, you will hear yours truly talk about a healing walk through the woods. Enjoy. Hi, I'm Willow Belden, the host of Out There Podcast. Over the past almost seven years, we've been bringing you outdoor stories that help you make sense out of your life and your world. This February, we're launching a new season. Hello! That's so... The bear doesn't get me... That's Sarah Dealey. Growing up, Sarah was not outdoorsy, and she was not athletic. Once, I had to write an apology note to my phys ed teacher because instead of trying to hit the softball that was pitched to me, I screamed and ran away every time. But at age 20, during a terrible bout of depression, she enrolled in a wilderness therapy program. By the end of the program, Sarah was ready to embrace nature. She didn't want to be an indoor kid anymore. Instead, she envisioned a new version of herself, a rugged outdoors woman. I could see her so clearly. She was about 70 pounds thinner than me. 
a tan mountain climber with ripped calves and a well-trained dog. She was someone who had her life together, and that life was wild. She was beautiful. But when Sarah got back to the real world, she didn't end up becoming that outdoor girl. Turns out, changing who you are isn't that simple. Sarah's story is one of many we'll be sharing with you this season. The episodes will all be the kind of personal, introspective narratives you know and love. But there will be a common theme. The theme is Things I Thought I Knew. Each episode will share a story about an outdoor experience that changed someone's understanding. In some cases, the storytellers gain new understanding about themselves. I don't have to define myself by negation, saying, I'm this, not that. In some stories, our guests discover new truths about how to rise to the challenges in their lives. I really felt like, you know, I was this, like, princess. Um, I felt beautiful. And that's not a thing I feel often um, as a Black woman. And in one case, we have a storyteller who figures out a new way to do good in the world by tackling a difficult history head on. If national parks are America's best idea, and there are deep, painful injustices embedded in their creation, what does that say about America? To hear all of these stories and many more, follow us on your podcast platform of choice. The season begins February 3rd, and we'll be releasing new episodes every two weeks after that through the middle of May. You can find Out There wherever you get your podcasts and at outtherepodcast.com. Now back to the show. What's the wildlife like? So in this area, there was very little wildlife in the sense of there are no bears or there are some wild yak, you know, and uh, we encountered those, but they're not. Although I, I was, I witnessed a yak fight of two yaks with each other and <laughs> I was really close. Uh, and I went, whoa, <laughs> that, that raised the hair they're on the back animals. of mine. They're, they're big yeah. animals. And I no, I don't want to be between those two, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they're not coming after people necessarily. So um, I have a in, a, in one of my chapters, I describe, you know, just at a very early in the morning, um, I was up before uh, my guide was up and, uh, and so they weren't cooking breakfast yet. So I was just wandering around um, and there were all these uh, marmots. So marmots live in the high country and coming mm-hmm. out of their holes and talking to each other and so but they're not dangerous to people. So uh, very little wildlife in the sense that you have to be afraid of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you mostly silent when you were walking? I met somebody as we started on this trek. So I had actually on the way out to this village, and this, this makes the whole story so much more interesting, uh, of all people I met at the, we, we took a bus out to the end of the road from where we started walking. And that was a whole day's affair. And at the bus stop, I met 
a man who I detected real quickly that he was from my native country, that he was Dutch because he had the unmistakable accent in his English when he asked, you know, where he could get a ticket for the bus to Mm. where we were going. And so we ended up trekking together. So I had somebody I could talk with during the day because my guide and the horseman, my my guide cook, it was a combination, turned up, um, his English was was limited. So, you know, we could talk about, are you hungry and how's the food and sleeping? Mm. But there were no conversations about life or <laughs> what is this all about? But the mm-hmm. man that I met, whom I, I, I've changed his name in the book called Wouter, um, he he and I had lots of conversations because he was there for a very interesting reason as well. And so, you know, it was, uh, for him, it was a spiritual quest. And so we had a lot of talks about spirituality and gurus and, you know, why he was doing this. And so, um, yeah, that's, mm-hmm. that's, but, you know, there's also plenty of times um, where you you're silent, obviously, um, which is something I actually prefer most of the time. In all my hiking and backpacking, I've done a lot of solo backpacking. The the being with the environment is what's what changes you. You know, when you when you feel yourself and there the the the, the mountains. You know, they would go up three thousand feet, just straight up around you and. Um, you know, you feel so small and you start to really think about the big questions in life. You know, what is this all about and what are people doing mm. here? And and I try to address some of that in, in my memoir as well. And it it, mm. it translates as you are making so much effort with your body because the biggest thing I think that I learned there, what I experienced, which I didn't remember from my first trek in my 20s, I trekked to base camp Mount Everest, but I don't remember that kind of insight. Um, It really came much later in my life. That was just an adventure. And, but this time I really felt the, the, the depth, you know, that each breath was life and, and it's in, in, you know, your breath goes into your boots almost when you, when you get up to uh, 16,000 feet, you know, I was, climbing over a pass at 16,000 feet. Mm-hmm. Um, you're slow and, and all you are is your lungs. And, uh, and then this just amazing landscape around you that is so powerful. You know, it really puts you in the present is what they always say. Um, when you're at high altitude, because you have a lack of oxygen, you, you, you're so focused on being, making it breath, step, breath, step, you know, mm-hmm. that, that's, mm-hmm. that's all there is. It's, it's, it's a total meditation. And, um, mm-hmm. and yeah, so that's what really brought me in touch with what I was made of. I found out uh, how strong I was. And I didn't know that before. And fear that I had to overcome is I had to cross some rivers. And <laughs> My, my cook guide, he was 19. He had no clue what it was oh. like for me in my late 50s, because I was in my late 50s then, you know, because that was just normal life for him. 
So he didn't have a real understanding of how difficult it could be. My contact in Lay, Karma, with whom I trekked again two years ago, I, I went back, he has a much better understanding of that. But for some reason, that didn't work out. And in a way, that sort of being cut off, being just totally left to my own devices to figure this mm -hmm. out, um, I see now as a blessing, you know, uh, and I figured it out. Who am I? Where do I stand? What is important in my life? And I came back with some answers, you know, to talk to my, still my husband at the time. So, so it really helped clarify. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I had felt so disjointed, losing a relationship that I didn't fully lose. And, uh, and so I had to kind of learn to determine again, who am I? Where do I stand? And, mm -hmm. uh, and what am I willing to give here? And, and what can I give here? And that really helped in, in the next five years, because it was another five years before he passed, in taking care of myself, not losing myself in, as a caregiver, and also uh, continue to love him for what he was without being um without any expecting anything in return anymore yeah a real acceptance of what was that's right not what you wish yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. but if we go back to you know zest and zestful living it wasn't until i a few years after he passed and I found myself saying, you know, I was reaching my, probably was like, uh, how old was I then? You know, six, close to 65. And I said, you know, I've had a good life. And I had really had to think, you know, people die. And who, how long am I going to live? Those questions mm. go through you. And I thought, you know, I've had a good life. I've, I've done some really marvelous and wonderful things. I had a great career as a mental health therapist. I've done... I had done meaningful work. My children were doing fine. Um, they were all successful, uh, adults, married, graduated from college. It was wonderful. And I said, you know, I don't have a whole lot more to live for. And if I, if I die, it's okay. And I started noticing that that thought would come through more and more. You know, I'm, it's okay if I die. I didn't have that real desire to do a whole other phase or I didn't have a big desire for making something of my life. And that's when I realized that the loss was so much deeper than I had thought. Uh, I see. Yeah. And I have to tell you, you know, I think I lost my zest for life, for living at that time. But I then started after I've been in Himalayas and I, in Europe and I had hiked in so many places I said you know for my 65th birthday I want to hike the state of Oregon where I have lived now for so long because I don't really know it here and that's when I started hiking the Pacific Crest Trail mm -hmm. and um, I did most of Oregon that summer I was still working so I didn't have a really long but I had three weeks to get most of it done and that's when I really discovered that that sort of um, zest again of being connected to this incredible beauty and walking daily 
and what that can do for me. And, and so that's, I didn't immediately say I'm going to hike the whole PCT, but I really understood how beneficial being on the trail for, for periods of time was versus, you mm-hmm. know, a walk or a day hike. I really discovered the, the, the long distance hiking and, and a very different kind of uh, hike. Very different, very different from what happens in what happened in the Himalayas. Even though you know I I was not dealing at that time with really high altitude, but some altitude. But yeah, self sufficiency. You carry everything on your back, so it's a very simple living, and learning to go without, and um, and being you know, yeah, being able to solve problems. It's not a difficult trail to follow, but um, you know sometimes you might take a wrong turn, but that's not usually the case. And it's, as some people say, it's a highway. There are so many people on it all the time. So you're not like lonely. You, you see people mm. regularly, except during COVID. <laughs> you didn't see people, but mm. uh, in general, you, you know, it's not a lonely journey. So yeah, that's when I started doing it. And I, I'm almost finished. So <laughs> I'm now 74 and I have, I would have finished if it hadn't been for the fires this last summer, but um, mm-hmm. I have a stretch to do from Tahoe to Yosemite and mm-hmm. I've hiked every other And mile. is that, you do that yourself or you do that with a group? No, I do it myself or with someone who's willing to go with me. Um, I've met people on the, on the way and I've had hiking buddies. I've also, uh, trained, uh, a few other women because as I was doing so much backpacking, I thought, you know, there were other women who said, Oh, I really want to do this. So I started, you know, teaching a class on backpacking after you're 50, just how you do it, what to do, what you need. And that became my book, Walking Gone Wild. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Rather than mm-hmm. teaching classes, it was more efficient to just create a book and let people read it. And, <laughs> but I also trained some people locally here that went with me. So we hiked, you know, a couple of hundred miles in Washington and some here in Oregon. And some of them have gone on to finish and others say, that was enough, you know, a hundred miles, that's enough <laughs> for me. <laughs> But you know, letting people discover it, yeah. So that was that was a period in which I, you know, that's very satisfying as well. I've reduced that now to just encouraging other women to take up walking on a regular basis rather than, you know, taking women onto the long trail. But in these groups on Facebook that uh, I have several, I'm. People ask and I meet people. So I met someone uh, last year who said, can I come with you on, on one of your long stretches? And we did a whole long stretch together in Southern California and it worked out wonderfully between us. So mm-hmm. you meet new people, which is the exciting I, thing about I bet. it. Yeah. I bet. It sounds like there's so much more to it than just exercise and you know, oh, I did the trail. It sounds like it might be hard to put into words how rich the experience is. Yeah, I think it is a, it's life changing. And 
both it's a spiritual experience it's also a physical changing experience and that's why i call my website transformation travel it's a form of travel that really truly transforms you on all levels mm-hmm. and 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 studies show that going out one day for a hike on how that affects your cognition you know when you're not behind a screen all day or you know stressful in a job then they looked at four three days out and then they looked at a week out and the longer you go out the better your your brain is after you come back Mm -hmm. and i have literally experienced this that my vision improved my memory that we tend to lose (laughs) as we get older (laughs) you know was Mm -hmm. definitely improved you know after three weeks or four weeks on the trail and the other interesting thing over because you know i do a bone density test so after four years of backpacking regularly with you know almost a 30 pound pack um i my bone density had increased rather than decreased at age 70. wow wow and i expect that you know i'm due for one next year i expect that to be similar you know so Mm -hmm. there's there are physical changes that happen and and they've done studies that show that regular walking is is an anti-aging agent so you know and that's why there's such such enthusiasm that's coming now you know my my facebook group walking women 50 plus is growing over has now over 2000 members women are walking they figured it out because walking encourages the release of telomeres it's the telomeres are the they lengthen the ends of your chromosome cell structure so we have our chromosome cell structure and as we're aging they become they become shorter but mm-hmm. walking this this regular exercise is not hard exercise but regular exercise lengthens those telomeres mm-hmm. and so it slows down i would say it's not like you become younger but it slows down your aging mm-hmm. process and mm. who wouldn't want there's that? so many good <laughs> and there's so many good things about being out in nature and there's um, there's and that and the benefits yeah. of forest bathing type things exactly being with trees with the the fractals that are so good for our brain and you say you talk a lot about that you bring a lot of research into your book i do um yeah. about why it's so beneficial so dami you know we're what would you say to someone listening saying you know i haven't walked in a long time i've just you know, walk to the refrigerator to get my snacks (laughs) while I'm watching my Netflix. It sounds interesting, but it also sounds kind of overwhelming. How would you suggest somebody start? Yeah. Well, so my my book, Walking on Wild, is just, is, is a handbook for that. It starts with research and why in the world you would want to walk as you're, you know, over 50. But, and it tells stories of other women who've started it. But it starts with like, start small. First, maybe, mm. you know, add some walking to your life. This is not about becoming someone who hikes the whole 2,650 miles of the Pacific Crest Trail. That's not the goal. Mm-hmm. That is just happens to be my personal need, you know, to do that. 
But Mm -hmm. that is not what you need to do. I tell people this over and over to be healthy, to improve your cognition. You do not need to do the big stuff. You can just do the small stuff. Mm-hmm. And in my group, we encourage you in this Facebook group. People are so encouraging. I got a mile. I made it a mile to, the, <laughs> you know, to the stores. People who have not, like you said, who've only been sitting in chairs and walking to the refrigerator. So I always say start mm-hmm. with a little pedometer or some Fitbit and see how many steps you take in a day. Don't change anything. Start from there. Mm-hmm. And there is um, mm-hmm. there is a, a site uh, online you can because we're calling it sitting disease. And you know if you want to know if you have sitting disease, you can fill out this form and and see how many hours in a day you sit. It's it's quite eye opening for most people. And and mm-hmm. really mm-hmm. the the thing that we need more than anything is not distance walking. It's movement. So you probably have heard, you know, to get up every half hour, you know, we have these devices now that tells you time to get up. Um, and they found a woman actually found this out. You know, uh, she was in with NASA and NASA doing, um, you know, space research on what happened to bodies. It, what happened to when you're without gravity? It's the gravity that again affects your, your DNA, your cells. So getting mm-hmm. up, engaging gravity is super important mm-hmm. to to slow down aging. That's why I love the rebounder, the yeah. mini tramp, because well, that's exactly what it does. That's what it does. But just yeah. getting up out of your chair, Med- if you can do it without yes. using your hands, by the way, use your quads to get up. Um, <laughs> that's mm-hmm. That's what it starts with. Am I moving regularly that's, throughout that's really my day? Good. If I'm doing a phone call, Mm -hmm. can I walk around the kitchen while I'm talking? You know, Mm -hmm. Um, can Mm -hmm. I stand up for a while behind my computer? What can I change? Because a lot of people are still working and they have work situations in which doesn't allow them to move a whole lot. But, you know, you can have a stand up desk um, so that you move a little bit. It's interesting as a therapist, because I know you were in that field with COVID, it's all telehealth. So I don't have to get up anymore to bring people to the door. (laughs) And you can just end up sitting one session after another because there's no one to greet at the door. They're all on on your computer. So, um, you know, my fellow therapists have, have said too, you know, this is not healthy, that it feels good, even if you're just getting up, walking just a few, you know, moments up the stairs. Yes. Uh, every session is very different than just being stuck in your chair. Yeah. And, yeah. and I say to people, you know, park so, your car um, somewhere farther mm-hmm. away, you know, and walk that distance mm-hmm. to the grocery store. You said you had a really active Facebook group. Can you tell the name so our audience can take a look? Sure. It's called Walking Women 50 Plus, and plus is spelled out. So uh, so Walking Women 50 Plus. So anybody over 50 can join. Is 50 spelled out, dummy? No, 50 is is numerical. 50 No, 50 is the number and plus is spelled out. Spelled out, yeah. Walking and, Women 50 you, Plus, P-L-U-S, yeah. And now people find me because I ask how they find this group, and they say, I just punched in walking, and the group comes up because it's one of the fewer oh, perfect. groups that deal with 
women who want to walk. So that's that's wonderful yeah. to have that support. And um, how and and of course you have written books, and people might want to know more about your story. Where can they find you? So I have a website, transformation-travel.com. Mm-hmm. So transformation-travel.com. Okay. If, if they write my name, which is difficult, but it would come up under that too. There aren't too many Dami Rolses in the world. Um, <laughs> and so my mm-hmm. books are available via my website. You can also find them on Amazon. And that's uh, mm-hmm. the memoir, Fly Free, and the walking book called Walking on Wild, How to Lose Your Age. Mm. And it's won an award, I see. Yep, it did. That's wonderful. Tommy, thank you so much for sharing your wis- your walking wisdom <laughs> and life wisdom. I, I share your, your passion and your love. Um, that's one of the reasons I think I have dogs in upstate New York. You cannot- That's it, get you know, a dog. Yep. Not have dogs. And I was out this morning and it was just this beautiful fall day. I, and I have now a six month old puppy. So she's eager, you know, she's just sort of waiting for me to finish my coffee so we can go and it was just such a spectacular way to start the day the sun was coming through and the leaves were turning and it was it it was just I felt really um, just filled up yes and it's such a lovely way to start the day and I just feel like I have much more to bring to my clients and anyone I interact with when I've had, it's just, it's yeah. such a beautiful experience, simple, but also so wholesome. And, you know, I have that good feeling of tiredness. Yes. Because there's a lot better, of hills where we all go, those things. Yeah. sleep better, all that great stuff. And you're contributing to a little bit of, um, you know, reducing the, the pollution by walking instead mm-hmm. of driving a car. And this car-centric mm-hmm. society that we, we've created here in the US, and I, I grew up in, without a car in, in Europe. Um, so I, for me, it wasn't such a big switch, but for people in US, it's a really big switch. And I'm sure there are people in other countries listening here who will agree that if you are in a country where there's public transportation, where people walk, then walking mm-hmm. is enough course. But in the US, it's mm-hmm. a big, deal for people to decide to become walkers yes. you know that absolutely is... it's not made that way no and no yeah more and more more and more i think that that's uh, part of the the plan um as we all age you know um how is this going to look because after a while even in a car-centric society not everyone will be driving no so how do people get what they need and 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 also that will help us ask for living in situations where there are sidewalks where there are bicycle Mm. path you know that we move things in that direction so this is an activity that is way more than just a healthy exercise activity it has Mm. so many ramifications so like you said it it fills up your soul it it changes your brain it changes society it is so far-reaching and that's what's so wonderful about such a simple thing mm-hmm. yeah absolutely thank you dami well you're very welcome i'm glad i could share all this with you and um, i'll just say to everybody happy walking <laughs>
for the better for all of us. Thank you so much for joining us on Zestful Aging. If you like the podcast, please share it with some of your friends. I love to hear from my listeners. Send me an email at NicoleChristina.com. It's no secret that everyone's feeling pretty restless and unsettled right now. Our lives are upside down and the future is feeling pretty uncertain. But if you're anything like me, organizing my stuff can help me feel a little calmer. It's something I can do to help me feel a little more in control and in charge of my own life. If you think decluttering could help you feel better and you could use a little assistance with that, check out the online course I've developed with professional organizer and designer Carrie Luteran. It's called Too Much Stuff. And Too Much Stuff is different from other courses or articles or guidance you may have used. Uh, we give you clear steps to deal with the clutter and the tools to help you face the overwhelming feelings and the emotions that come up when we're going through our clutter. And a lot of those emotions are just feeling anxious or guilty or just basically flooded with a lot of different confusing feelings. The course is really practical. It's realistic. The lessons are short and punchy, and they're really manageable. We're not trying to set you up for some long, exploratory, you know, super in-depth, burdensome experience. We want something really helpful for you right now. We all need help with our anxiety. So, Being surrounded by more calm and less chaos can really help. So now's a good time to clear out the clutter so we can focus on what's really important in our lives. So find out more at zestfulaging.com. You'll see more about this under the web courses tab. If you have any questions, just shoot me an email at zestfulaging at gmail.com. Thanks so much. And stay tuned next week for another interview with a fascinating and inspiring guest.